You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Here in Happy Valley, the countdown clock to kick off for the 2020 Penn State season officially inside of single digits at number eight today. And it is our final non-game week episode until Christmas week, Mr. Fitz. Fingers crossed for that. We've seen across college football, not all plans come to fruition on these schedules. We've got nine games laid out for Penn State, that ninth game still being an unknown as part of the Big Ten Championship week. But number one, just eight days away from when we're recording, we're going to get to our State of the Position series once again here in the episode, safeties and cornerbacks, the defensive backfield in the spotlight. You're going to hear a lengthy discussion with Penn State commit Liam Clifford. We talk about his decision to play at Penn State, his expectations, his development. We referenced last week, I believe, a 300-yard receiving game on his resume as a senior at St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati. And of course, we pick his brain a little bit about older brother Sean Clifford, Penn State's starting quarterback, and a new roster update to address for Penn State, some notable weight gains and losses all coming your way. But Sean, as I said, it's uh, we're about to turn the corner and really take this thing head on with the game week. Well, the season's one thing, but more importantly, Bryce Mostella has been challenged. I don't know if you caught this or not, but uh, Christian Zachary, defensive end from Georgia, put up a video, and I don't like to promote rivals, obviously, but put up a video on, on rival social media yesterday. You watched it. I watched it. I recommend all of our, our listeners watch it because it is incredible. It is. I don't know how to describe it. It was supposed to be a commitment video. He committed to supposedly himself. You've been the one that has dealt with him in the past. He had a Penn State offer if we want to tie it back to Penn State, but I want to get your thoughts on it because I thought it was amazing, and I don't know what the hell just went on watching. Yeah, I, I caught up with Christian Zachary back in April, um, you know, talking about what Penn, that Penn State offer meant, and, and, and you know, it's been a long time, and all of a sudden he surfaces up. Uh, my wife saw this uh, video as well. There's not a lot of things in the recruiting world these days that I bring to my wife and say, check this out. Uh, almost none. That's but good. This was, yeah. yeah, this was one where uh, I wanted to get another pair of eyeballs on it. She was also, um, she reacted to the video. That's probably what I'll say about it. A lot of people did. And, and Christian Zachary, I think, was looking for some reaction. Uh, I guess he wasn't quite looking to commit there, um, uh, unless you're going to decipher things between the lines. One thing I did do, though, Sean, was I, I immediately, when I saw this, I reached out to, to an old colleague of mine from my days at Bleacher Report, um, and, and he was the, the main video producer there. And I don't know if people remember this, but Bleacher Report was, you know, really, uh, went all in on commitment videos. And it started off kind of small and, and, and modest with some of those videos. And eventually guys were jumping out of planes and it got really crazy. But I said, look what you have done, sir. I was like, years later, this is where we are now. Um, you know, and, and you people probably, you know, remember, I don't know if we ever won Penn State. I, do, I did help collaborate on one for Fred Hanser to the Florida Gators, which as a New Jersey guy who also had Rutgers on his finalist list, that was uh, a really some nice feedback coming my way years ago. And of course, he ends up at Penn State. But uh, I've seen my fair share of commitment videos. I've heard a lot about a lot of ideas in, in pre-production meetings with prospects and, and producers. It was part of my role there as kind of uh, being the middleman between those two and, and getting these things to actually uh, you know, get to the point where you're filming kids and, and, and taking plane trips to do this, this kind of production. 
Never seen anything like this in my life. It appeared that mom and dad were involved. It appeared that some pretty significant uh, special effects were involved. A commitment was not involved. It was amazing. Uh, and, and it's really incredible how these things have come together. Obviously, over the last three few years, edits have been so big. Videos have been these things. I mean, we've heard, you know, we heard with Diego Pounds, he made a video and sat on it for a month or a month and a half and then eventually changed his mind. I mean, these things are so important and sort of ingrained in the fabric of recruiting now. And, you know, Bleacher Report was a big part of it. We've done a couple on 24-7 sports, but it's just incredible that the way that this process has changed. I mean, you're talking about going from hats on the table and maybe just a, a slight announcement to, you know, the Notes app is so big now and, and these videos are so big and cutting your list to 20 schools if you have 24 offers. You know, it's just, it, it's incredible how this has gone. Not all of it for the good, obviously, because it's it's turned, you know, a, a lot of these guys into celebrities and sometimes that's not the best thing for the kid, but it, it's really crazy. And I think, I think Brandon Wimbush was a Bleacher Report video when he came he, he was State. actually the first one, Sean, and but he was just a hat on the table kind of announcement. It was like a very normally structured setup. I think the first one that we did that that took it kind of to another level was with Josh Bebe down in Georgia. This is one that I was personally very involved with. He committed to Southern Cal. He's now a really a standout in the Big Ten at Illinois um, as a transfer there. But he was the first one where we took it another step. And then by the end of my time at Bleacher Report. Yeah, I, I can understand why they stopped covering college football recruiting in general because I think they put a lot of funds into getting these videos out. Uh, I know our production team had a lot of fun with it. They were traveling all over the place, but there's a point where you just say, you have a lot to live up to, kid. If you're going to go this far and sign off on a video like this, these kind of productions, you better get to campus. You better be ready to take a little bit of heat for that. Um, and also, you know, you better be able to play football for, for kind of going through this process. And Fred Hansard had a cool one where it involved the New York City skyline. As I said, a, a New Jersey kid uh, who was going to school in the Princeton area. Uh, a pretty interesting setup for him. But you've you seen all shapes and forms. And by the way, did you see yesterday? I, I don't know who the kid was. I didn't get that. But there was a decommitment graphic where it listed like a new top three. And it said in like this cool text font decommitted. Yeah. Brandon Jennings, a linebacker from Florida, <laughs> top 100 kid is probably going to end up at Michigan. Uh, I think he commits on Monday, but uh, it's it's really been incredible. And, it, and it's added really steps to the process and really drawn out the process. I mean, there's basically a, um, you know, a period now where you're talking about, you know, visiting commitment and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's a period now where you're talking about is making the video. And that's, you know, it, it could be a process that is done in a, in a day. It could be a process that's done in a couple of days, uh, or, you know, it could even stretch out a couple of weeks. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, sort of get in line behind that video. And that's, and that's one reason that wait, you know, when, when the kid commits and, and Franklin tweets it out and everything, you, you wait for the kid, you give him his moment and everything like that. There's a lot of hard work that went into it, but also it's become such a part of the process that getting ahead of the commitment and putting the story out before the kid gets there is just a, it's a bad look for the for the writer or for whoever's covering it. I remember probably I guess five years ago at this point standing on the Atlantic City boardwalk, um, looking around, making sure no one was kind of watching. I guess, but watched a banner plane go fly over the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it was Amir Mitchell committing to Michigan. Um, and we just waited for the video to drop, but the banner plane said go blue and whatever. He was there for about a semester. Um, but at that point, I, I knew I could see out in the ocean Fonzie just riding his, riding over the shark. And, and I just knew that was there was no there was no coming back from something like this. And, and, and it's it's the toothpaste has been out of the tube with this this commitment video stuff. 
And then, and then if you don't produce or if you, you know, you have a, a college career, like Amir Mitchell did not have much of a college career, it's just going to come back on you. I mean, obviously Quinn Nordine is the famous one when it comes to oh, Penn yeah. State, but it's, uh, it's really just, and I'm sorry we got sidetracked and talked about this so <laughs> long, uh, but it's, it's just an interesting part of the process now. And we're, you know, you're hearing things, you know, we're, we're waiting on maybe a possible 2021 commit with a guy that's supposedly making his video. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's just such a part of the process now that it's, uh, it's, it's gotten crazy, but getting back into what we were actually going to talk Sean, about. Sean, this just, would have been a perfect conversation for like any of those months where we didn't have football. And now we bring it up right around the corner from the game. Well, we're but just yeah, going to try and jam it all in right now in the last right. eight days. So, but again, we're happy to have football on the horizon. We're going to talk about some football. We got state of position, going to roll with both defensive backfield positions right now. It's just like we did with the, the defensive line earlier this week. Very important position for Penn State. They lost uh, a couple of starters in John Reed, who's now with the Texans, and Garrett Taylor, who had a camp cup of coffee with the, the Buffalo Bills. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an opportunity for some young guys to step up and, and even some... I guess we'll call them inexperienced veterans, uh, guys that have played in the past but are, are now getting a chance to step up. And I think I'm optimistic about this unit because I, I look forward to what can be this year and then what can be in the future, especially at cornerback. And, and it sounds like things are progressing in the right direction. Last episode, we talked about the defensive line and featuring those two positions, end and tackle, and how there was certainly a uh, an imbalance there in, in, in the numbers and, and what you've got. There's a lot more symmetry, it would seem, especially with Trent Gordon moving over to the safety spot from cornerback. Now, you can argue on which is the more talented room. I, I'd give cornerback the edge, but I think in terms of a, a depth, both are in pretty good spots right now. You mentioned John Reed out of the cornerbacks group, uh, Garrett Taylor moving on from the safeties group. We also have to mention Donovan Johnson had just kind of been snake bit by injuries during his career not going to be on the field this fall at cornerback either um but but you know who will be Tariq Castro Fields and he was one of those guys that especially through the first you know first half of the game uh, season or so last year you wondered if he may uh, be an early entry into the 2020 NFL draft Terry Smith speaking with us this year said he felt like Tariq Castro Field was flashing some first round talent on the field early last year and said it was a tale of two seasons for him uh injury was an issue but uh you know you he was picked on. He was picked on uh, a lot toward the tail end, and and the the explosive plays stacked up on this defensive unit. Um, Sean, it, Minnesota game on. You know whether it was home against Indiana, certainly in Memphis, where Brady White somehow did not manage to throw a touchdown um, despite racking up 500 plus yards through the air. Um, that was an issue. It's probably the issue when you look at what needs to be remedied for this defensive unit. But it's the same safeties coach, the same uh, cornerbacks coach, the same defensive coordinator. Um, and, and and there's a lot of consistency also in the personnel department. There's there's a lot of consistency in the personnel department. There needs to be more consistency in the communication department. I was pretty hard on the safeties last year. Taylor, you know, was a starter, but and, and he had a couple picks, including a, a big one in the in the Cotton Bowl. But you know, you didn't look at him as a game changing safety. I look, you know, I, we're, we're not at safety right now, but I, I see Brisker as a different type of guy. Moving back to corner, Castro Fields. I think he's a really good player. I think he's, I, I'll say this, I think he's a really talented player. Uh, I think he was hurt a little bit more than they let on last year and and certainly uh, nagged him down the stretch, um, but he's got to be better. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he's he's athletic enough. He's he's talented. He's got the size. He's got everything that you're going to look for in a pro prospect, but he needs to do a better job in coverage. And and that's, I don't think that's a secret to anybody, including himself. I think he, I think there's a lot of potential there. I think he was a guy that uh, I don't see anybody stepping up and taking his job. We see those young guys behind him, but at the same time, uh, 
Castro Fields needs to be a number one corner. I think he's got it in him. Um, it's just gotta, it's gotta come out. And if it doesn't, like the, those young guys are waiting for him. Castro Fields came in with that 2017 class, a guy that we saw early on the football field, and we've seen him often on the field last year. Um, you know, the year before, I mean, it's it, it's been a kid who's you know you you think he's been working his way toward a big season this year if if he's healthy that it's going to come together for him. But at, at the same time, um, he's going to really need to take on responsibility as a leader in that room. It sounds like he has um, because John Reed was so important for this team. He he wasn't the the rah rah guy, but man, you talk to anybody and it was like an extension of the coaching staff working with this guy in that cornerbacks room. Anybody who really across the defense coming to John Reed. Uh, you know, could, could gain something from his insight, and, and that's helped him early in his NFL career. But you look at, at you got Castro Fields as that senior, and then you really have that gap where where there's no one you know that's a junior. Uh, Donovan Johnson's banged up. Uh, you go down to that sophomore group, the second year players, a couple redshirt freshmen in there, and that's the really one of the most captivating chunks of this roster to me, Sean is the four cornerbacks they signed in the 2019 recruiting class. We got long looks last year at Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson. Ellis was the green light coming out of preseason camp as a freshman. Wilson, we didn't actually get to see the first few games, and then he ended up playing the final 10 and playing a very important role. Ellis forced three turnovers. Wilson had five turnovers forced in a, a relatively small sample size, shut the door on Memphis with an interception in the red zone late in that Cotton Bowl win. Um, and then, oh, by the way, Joey Porter Jr., Daquan Hardy getting a lot of love. And, and you know, the oh, by the way, probably isn't putting enough emphasis on the fact that Joey Porter Jr. is in the thick of this competition. I, I would not be surprised if Joey Porter Jr. was a starter next week. I mean, let, that that's how good they think he is and think that he's come along. Now, of course, Wilson has had some some issues in the offseason, and I, I think the world of his ball skills and, and, and really with, with both of those guys, with Wilson and Keaton Ellis, I mean, they, they were able to find the ball. I mean, it's just not something you saw from Penn State corners for a while. Even John Reed, you know, had a couple of picks over his career, but, but never really was the guy that was would was sort of magnetic to the football that would just gravitate to the ball and it would just end up in his hands, whether that be a fum, a lucky fumble bound. I mean, Keaton Ellis, you know, found his way to a couple of fumbles last year or Marquise Wilson just seemed to, you know, it, it's one of those things where you see him and you could see the receiver skills that he had, you know, in his prior football life and his high school football life uh, just sort of come to come to light. So I, I'm encouraged by those guys. I'm really, really in, I'm probably intrigued by Joey Porter, Maybe more than anybody on the defense, it might be a little bit, might be a bit of a stretch, but just he's got that height, he's got the athleticism, the speed is better than we thought it was. I just think that he's got you know long term potential that that is kind of ridiculous, and and I don't, I didn't see myself saying that. I was never the biggest fan of Joey Porter as a prospect because you weren't sure if you know is he a safety, is he going to grow into linebacker like his dad did. I mean, just uh, there were so many things going on. We thought he was a you know a four six five kid, a four six kid gets to campus and runs a four fours. You know that's pretty ridiculous at that size. So I'm excited, probably more excited to see Joey Porter than anybody in this defensive backfield. We'll see where he's at, uh, you know, come the regular season. We'll see if he can contribute come the regular season because he doesn't have the experience that Wilson and that Ellis have. It's just, I'm astounded by, 
you know, and I know that a lot of this is off-season hype and a lot of this is practice stuff. I'm astounded by the fact that they brought in four corners and we've heard very good things about it. all these guys, even Daquan Hardy, last minute addition in that class. And I'm not sure that he's, you know, in that class with those other three, but people keep bringing him up and say, hey, this kid can really play. You know, he, he can be a Grant Haley. He can eventually play, you know, some of that slot corner that they like to play. So it's just, it's, it's incredible to me. And the jury is still out because these guys are so young, but it seems like They've got four guys out of that that group of four. I mean, granted, they had Tyler Rudolph in there as well, so you had five. But four out of four—if you can hit four out of four—that's unheard of. It's in, it's so rare, and we're talking about spots in this roster, whether it's receiver or defensive line, um, safety, where there's third and fourth year college players, and you're like total total question marks when it comes to them. Everything you hear on this this group of guys who have been on campus for less than two full years is, oh, yeah, he's going to factor in. He might be a starter. He might not be, but you're going to see a lot of them. I mean, this cornerback group has a chance to be really special and and this year make a major difference. But really, I'm you know, how does it shape up the next few years with, with all these guys? Joey Porter Jr., um, there was conversation during his recruitment. Some people were wondering, oh, well, is he going to end up like his dad at linebacker? You see the length. This kid is six foot two, somewhere around 200 pounds. He's down to 193. He, he, he's he's already flashed the speed. You referenced that. That that was kind of something that I think turned a lot of heads uh, from the outside looking in on Joey Porter, how quick he is. Um, but, but man, I, I think, you know, when, when you just look across the board, everybody's a little different. Daquan Hardy's got his own story, getting that last second offer and uh, literally, literally like the last second, the night before signing day, he gets that offer from Penn State, um, comes in at like 160 pounds soaking wet, um, ends up being a developmental scout player of the year on your defense and sharing that honor. Um, then Joey Porter Jr., we see a little bit of him here and there, but the intrigue's obviously very apparent. Keaton Ellis, to me, was you know steady Eddie, came to campus, did his job. You know, it wasn't surprised to see here he was going to get that green light. And then Marquise Wilson is this was this kind of you know just a f- major flash, a, a guy who comes in with the attitude. They talk about him being the most confident. I mean, Franklin said this guy might be our most confident defensive back. That was in October of last year. He was like what six weeks into his first season on a college football f- field, sharing that with guys who are 22, 23 years old, had had multiple matchups against teams like Michigan and Ohio State, and we're hearing that about Marquise Wilson. That right away was like this kid's different. Yeah, and and you can see that, and that's not something you know. You talk about quiet. Com- I, I think Tariq Castro Fields is a guy that people have talked about with quiet confidence. Well, you can see Marquise Wilson. There's no shying away from his body language. Sign. Yeah, <laughs> body language. Just his mouth goes. I mean that, and and he's kind of not the opposite of Keaton Ellis, but you don't really see that much from Keaton Ellis, and and we don't know what. You know, we don't know what Joey Porter or what Daquan Hardy bring in that facet, but you look, you just watch a game that Marquise Wilson plays in and you can see it. So I, I that's refreshing to me. I, I like my corners like that. I like, you know, we, 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 um, you know, I've been friends with Stefan Morris for a long time and covered him since he was a sophomore in high school. His mouth never stopped. And he was, you know, not, the, not the best corner that's ever played here, but he, he probably, performed above his above the expectations given his size and given you know that all all that so i'm excited to see you know marquis wilson is a guy that has skills like that a guy that can go find the football and he's also got size i mean you you look at him and you put him beside keaton ellis and you maybe think he's small or you put him beside joey porter and you maybe think he's small but you know he's five and eleven and a half six foot whatever uh you know whatever he's listed on the official roster certainly big enough to, to to go through there so i'm excited to see him i think it's interesting what you said about porter the the knock on Porter right now, and it's funny knowing who his father is and knowing how his father played, the knock on Porter is he's not the most aggressive guy. He's not the best tackler. So when people ask me, 
like clockwork every couple of weeks if Joey Porter is going to move to safety. I just don't see it. They think they've got a guy that's, you know, six foot two, a uh, really rangy long guy, um, but not physical enough to play safety and probably not, for that matter, not going to be physical enough to eventually move to linebacker. So do what you can at uh, at cornerback with Joey Porter. Use those skills. See if, you know, he can use that absurd length because, I mean, you got to like him as a prospect long term. Still not sure where he's at right now. He's going to have to be more aggressive, going to have to be, you know, a little bit more physical. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it, I'm a, kind of astounded how this group has gone as a whole. Penn State has never produced a first round pick at the cornerback position. Not the first time I'll say this, but I just get the feeling that that guy is in this room right now. And it, and it might be one or the other. Uh, I think Joey Porter probably has the most uh, upside. And you talk about what NFL scouts covet long term, but I mean, the ball skills for Marquise Wilson, nothing to sneeze at. And I still think we're going to see a lot of really good football out of Keaton Ellis. Um, Congratulations to Daquan Hardy and Marquise Wilson. They're out of the 160s. That's not a great place to be on a college football roster. Both up 10 pounds on the updated roster that we just saw uh, on Thursday. We're going to get to some more takeaways from there, which leaves the new lightweight champion of the Penn State roster in that cornerback room, Joseph Johnson, another guy that I think in other other circumstances, maybe on other rosters, we'd be talking about more as a freshman, has that length, has the lanky frame right now at about 168. Um, but Joseph Johnson's a guy that, that I also think has some swagger at that position. He's going to get a chance to, to work at his own pace, and I don't see him in any circumstance being rushed onto the field. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's the only cornerback following up a four-cornerback class that looks really, really good. Um, and and I, I just I just get a good f- uh, feel from, from Joseph Johnson after watching him in person at, on the camp setting. We had him on the podcast, uh, you know, came away pr- impressed from that conversation, and he did enroll early as well. Yeah, I think Joseph Johnson can be a player eventually. Again, he's got to fill out like, you know, you mentioned he's the lightest guy on the roster right now. And he's also what six, he's listed at six, two. So long and lanky Yep, that to fit six, two or to fit 168 pounds over a six, two frame. He's got some, some work to do on that, but no, he's good, good athletic kid. uh, Very good length. Uh, That's the interesting dynamic to me is you come in as the sole corner in the class after you've got four corners ahead of you, you know, that, that that's going to be very interesting to see how he works through that and Granted, you know, you've got uh, Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson, both sophomore eligible, but you've got this new eligibility rule where you don't burn a year. So I'm not sure how it's going to work. Jeffrey Davis and Kalen King both going to enroll in January. So you add something to the room for next spring um, and you you just lose Castro Fields. I'm not sure what Donovan Johnson's status is going to be moving forward. He's just had so many injuries. It's been really unfortunate to watch because I'm a fan of what I was able to see with Donovan Johnson, which wasn't much, but um, it's it's going to be a room that just continues to sort of get better. I'm very high on Kalen King. We saw some workout videos from Jeffrey Davis, think he can fit in there physically. And, you know, you might not have to worry about this room for a while. Now, they've got to get to where they need to be to not worry about this room. And I'm talking about Ellis and Wilson and Porter. You know, those guys need to perform at the level that this coaching staff thinks they can. But, I mean, just looking at this, the straight numbers, it seems to be in a pretty good spot. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., Daquan Hardy, soon to be third year freshman up at Penn State next year. They'll be uh, two of the five guys on freshman status in that cornerback room if things stay as they are with the two incoming. Joseph Johnson as a freshman. And oh, by the way, uh, you're still going to be sophomore status for uh, Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson. But if they uh, continue to grow and play like we have seen them early on and what we're hearing about, don't think you can count on seeing them around for, for five years on campus. Uh, moving over to safety, Sean, a, a group that 
uh, brings back Lamont Wade, brings back a fellow senior, although he's only a second-year player on this roster, and Jaquan Brisker. And Brisker um, is where we'll start here. Garrett Taylor has departed. Uh, I think you're looking at a, a, a potential notable upgrade here, and I don't want to knock Garrett Taylor, but there's a reason that Jaquan Brisker came in as such a, a heavily decorated junior college prospect, a guy who had offers across the Power Five uh, from, you know, from some SEC heavyweights as well. You're able to work that local connection with Terry Smith get him on board. I thought he really came on strong as the year progressed last year. And he's a guy that that I think can make a name for himself just about as, as much as anybody uh, in this defensive backfield here over the course of the 2020 season. I agree. And and this is, if you listen to the podcast, is no surprise that I'm very high on Jaquan Brisker. And I think he's probably going to be the breakout player on this defense th- uh, this year, just watching, you know, how close he was last year. And that's a big jump to make from Lackawanna to uh, to Penn State. And unfortunately, it wasn't a year later where he could have gotten that free year. Um, but uh, man, he's got uh, so much athletic potential. He's got length 6'1", 212, uh, can move around, can hit. Um, had a couple of picks last year or, and, and had more opportunities to do so. So, you know, if he can get that down and if he and Lamont Wade can work as a tandem in terms of communication, that was the big thing for me last year was safeties just kind of left the corners hanging at times and, and it was not good. And you saw that over the last, what, five or six weeks of the season. So if they, if they can you know, perform at the the level that, you know, sort of the expectations have been set, not only by the coaching staff and us, but but themselves, then they're going to be in a good spot. I'm just very high on Brisker. I think he he can be a game-changing safety and, and one of those that they haven't had for a while. And I know they've had some guys drafted. I know they've had some guys in the NFL, but I think Brisker has a lot of potential for this year. Game changer was the kind of label applied to Lamont Wade by many when he came out of high school, uh, five star, high four star, depending on where you were looking in recruiting circles, uh, the top ranked recruit in that 2017 recruiting class for Penn State. And his, his college career, as you can kind of break it down into phases, he came in on the her- as the heralded guy. My first time in the press box, I think uh, I think he was on the cover of the Collegian uh, for that spring game. And, and uh, I was like, OK, everyone's excited on campus about Lamont Wade, clearly. Then, you know, he kind of goes, he's, he just doesn't surface at the cornerback spot like people thought, ends up at safety, ends up in the transfer portal. He kind of gets this, uh, th- th- this uh, you know, kind of a, a, a label like maybe he's a disgruntled member of the roster, uh, you know, re- rededicates himself to Penn State, moves over to safety last year, seemed to get comfortable as the season went on, really came up big in that Ohio State game. I, I think that's pretty easily the game of his of his career thus far at Penn State on the road in Columbus. Uh, but to this point, Sean, I mean, he, he sounds like he's in total control at, at, at the safety role. He's going to need to be a leader in a team that lost a few of those over the course of the offseason. What do you make of Lamont Wade year four at Penn State? Because you've been covering this kid a lot longer than I. I still don't know. And and that's the thing. Like the, the story has been a great, you know, sort of redemption story with the portal and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I look at what's back there and, you know, they're going to maybe use him in some different roles here and use him as a, he has played some nickel corner, some star or whatever. Um, but yeah, he, he had that big game against Ohio State. I, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency out of him. And I think he can do it. I mean, I think he's a talented football player. I think he's a guy that, you know, can, can get a shot at the pros, you know, maybe doesn't have the physical gifts, the, the the length and the size back there. But I, I, I think he can do it. I, I would like to see it on a more consistent basis, though. So um, optimistic about uh, Lamont Wade. I think he can be a big-time uh, presence for that defense as a leader. Um, is he the guy that we labeled him as coming out of high school? No, he's not. He hasn't been that guy 
Uh, I think Rivals had him as a five-star corner, and I, I just I never got that evaluation to begin with. But it's just the more time he spent. I mean, he looked like a guy that you know was playing small school ball. He was very, very, very good compared to his uh, his competition. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with this year. I I curious if he can get his hand on the football more. Loved what I saw in that Ohio State game, as I mentioned. But uh, yeah, it's going to be one of those question marks where. As a returning starter, you kind of have these expectations for him, but you still would like to kind of see more from from Lamont Wade, and I'm I'm excited to see if he can answer that call. I think he needs to be kind of that that defensive heartbeat guy, kind of like Jason Cabinda was a few years back, where you know when 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 the things are going awry, maybe or things are going well on the field, he he's he can be a stabilizing force out there on the field. Um, you know, I think there's other guys that can fill that role. Shaka Tony is someone we mentioned, but to me, uh, I just keep going back to him f- because he is such a vocal dude. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, I think that needs to be really important. And you mentioned the communication at safety that, that, that further cast that in the spotlight. This is where it gets trickier though, because we think about those two guys kind of being locked in. We've talked about it for a while as those first team players, but unlike cornerback, we don't really have those warm and fuzzies quite yet about the rest of this safety group. And part of it is because guys are new there. Part of it is because we just don't know if Jonathan Sutherland can be a complete safety that you can count on in the passing game. He's been a special teams captain, a guy that has shown the ability to, to drop the hammer a bit when, when he hits you. But Sutherland's there. Jair Brown is a guy that, that I've, I've been pretty high on coming out of Lackawanna College. Uh, you know, played alongside Jaquan Brisker two years ago there. Uh, carved out his own kind of underdog story, which, which is really fascinating. And then Trent Gordon converting over from cornerback, making the move to safety, a spot he played down in Texas at the high school level. Tyler Rudolph came in as, as a four-star. He's kind of become that forgotten man in the defensive back class that featured those four cornerbacks in 2019. So, uh, you know, you can tell me that one guy's going to be the second teamer or the other guy's going to be the second teamer, and I'll believe you. And Tim Banks, who we got on the phone uh, this week for a call, safeties coach, he pretty much lumped that group together, had some nice things to say about each, didn't really give any kind of definitive uh, you know, lay of the land in terms of who we're going to see next on the field after Lamont Wade or Brisker. And, and, and even more importantly, if Lamont Wade is your star guy, who's coming in at safety because that cannot be some kind of Achilles heel for the back end of your defense. And I, and I agree with that. I think you have the starters, you know, up pretty high. And I think you have a gap there between the starters and the, and the second group, Jonathan Sutherland, as we've seen has been, you know, he's been a guy that's played the run. He's played special teams, you know, he's been been fantastic in special teams. Hasn't really seen uh, the strides in coverage that he thought we might, um, high on Jair Brown, but of course, until we see him, it's really just that that's what it is. It's, it's the offseason hype. And then the, the young guys, Trent Gordon obviously moved over from corner and, and Tyler Rudolph is is still progressing, but I don't know if you can ask him as a redshirt freshman to step in there and, and play a bunch of reps. So I think that's probably where the concern lies with this group. You look at, uh, you know, if something happens to Lamont Wade or Jaquan Brisker, you know, that could be injury. That could be, you know, targeting even like that. That's safeties. Oh, yeah. Safeties Absolutely. are a prime uh, target, no pun intended, for for that penalty. So we'll see what happens with that. I, I that's a spot where you're kind of looking at the roster and you say, okay, these guys have some talent, but not experienced, and you really just don't know what's going to come in after those first two. Enzo Jennings is the newcomer there, Sean. Like the cornerback room, only brought in one player at safety. He's a good one, though. Uh, he's one of their uh, premier prospects. And you look at the 24-7 sports rankings, he played in the All-America game, uh, finished his career off there. Uh, a, a player who has kind of been a little bit of a Pied Piper out of Michigan, along with Lance Dixon, for, for foreshadowing what we've seen in the 2021 cycle with four guys out of the Detroit area. Um, Enzo Jennings, I, 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 you know, another guy who brings that length 
but man, I, I, I we're talking about not really knowing what the rest of the room looks like. Uh, I have no idea what to expect if Enzo Jennings ends up playing in a game this year. Yeah, and I, I think he would be a traditional redshirt guy, maybe a a reddish yellow type guy. He's got some athletic potential, and he did some nice things in the off season before um, everybody was sent home. But uh, I think he's he's a long way probably from seeing the field. Six one one ninety seven. You like the potential there. You like that size. I mean, that's that's one thing that they've certainly added back there. Is I, I know Lamont Wade is is not the biggest guy, but you know Jaquan Brisker is a big guy. Tyler Rudolph's got a ton of length. Jair Brown's a, a taller guy. So you've got some some length in the secondary, and those guys can run. So uh, I think. Jennings is a, a, still an exciting prospect. I mean, we had him as a four-star, um, but I don't think he's an immediate impact guy. He's probably, probably similar to where Tyler Rudolph was last year. So, you know, if you can line those guys up and, you know, hopefully stay stay in that sort of uh, groove and get those same kind of guys, you'll be fine. You just can't ask them to play too early. This is a defensive back position at the star role, the, the, the nickel back, whatever you want to refer to this thing as, that I think we're going to see a lot of. We discussed the, the fact that you have to replace three starting linebackers. How often are you going to be going with two linebackers and five defensive backs? And where does that fifth defensive back come from? And, and Terry Smith talked about this uh, this week on Penn State's radio show. You know, he, he called Lamont, I'm sorry, Tim Banks actually was the one who called Lamont Wade the ultimate nickel um, because of his ability in, in coverage and also his ability to come up and hit people and blitz off the edge. And Terry Smith echoed that sentiment, but also said, if we're taking Lamont Wade away, that means we got to put a different safety back there. Uh, maybe we take Terry Castro Fields and, and put him at the star role. Maybe it's Keaton Ellis, Daquan Hardy getting mentioned there. Really, we're hearing three cornerbacks there. We're hearing one safety in Lamont Wade, who who you know would probably be viewed as that first team guy at star. But you do have to say, you know, who are you taking away from their typical position, and who's then replacing them in that role? Yeah, at one point you thought that would be Wade, but given the talent that's in the corner room and the guys that you know the versatility that you can provide, I mean, you can put some taller guys on the edge there. I mean, he would, he didn't mention Marquise Wilson, but I think Marquise Wilson's a good fit in there. Uh, Daquan Hardy is probably his best best bet to get onto the field to get into that role and be that nickel corner type guy because the star is a varied position. I mean, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a linebacker type pl- player. Sometimes it is a a, nickel, a straight up nickel slot corner. I mean, it depends down and distance opponent and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot to work with it. So I can see Hardy being in there. I can see uh, Keaton Ellis being in there as well. You mentioned Terry Castro Fields. I mean, I, I'm not sure how the, how all that works, but you slide those guys around. And at the end of the day, I think there's just more talent at corner, more talent that's ready at corner to to sort of get in there and, and be that guy. I'm with you on that one. Um, it's also going to be a bigger defensive back class. You mentioned before, Kalen King, Jeffrey Davis at cornerback, uh, safety. You're also looking at two guys on board right now, Jalen Reed, Zaki Wheatley. I think they're a nice compliment. We'll talk more about uh, that 2021 class as, as we get closer to signing day and, and put a, more of a spotlight on that group. But I, I think that's going to do it for the defensive back conversation. Covered a lot of ground, safety, cornerback, and the star position. Mark Brennan has a good write-up from, from earlier this week on, on some other things Terry Smith had to say about his corner back room and about that star role. Uh, We're going to come back in a moment with Liam Clifford, a member of that 2021 recruiting class, not just a four-star wide receiver, but also the younger brother of Nittany Lions starting quarterback, Sean Clifford. We'll talk about their relationship, his expectations for Sean at Penn State in 2020, and also what he looks forward to most about being a Nittany Lion. Additionally, some roster update takeaways, quick recruiting news item, and we'll wrap it up with our five-star mailbag. Jam-packed episode as we put the focus on Penn State's season opener right around the corner here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Our conversation with Penn State recruits across the country continues right now, and we check in in Ohio with Liam Clifford. You know that last name well. We'll talk about the connection to older brother Sean Clifford, now a second-year starting quarterback here at Penn State, but uh, back home in the same school that Sean wants to start at, St. Xavier in Cincinnati. Playoffs are underway. It's a different look for the postseason in Ohio. So uh, win number one in your back pocket already, Liam, last weekend, but it's a long journey ahead, so we wish you well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Welcome to the show, and and we're coming up on the one-year mark of your commitment. I, whether you can believe it or not, coming off of that whiteout Michigan win, you were the second guy on board following Nate Bruce out of Harrisburg. How have you changed in the past year? How has that relationship with Penn State evolved in the past year? Yeah, I mean – it's crazy thing that I didn't even think about that. It's been almost coming up on a year here, but um, I think personally I've changed in a few ways physically, just in my game. I think I've just become a better player, obviously. And then just with my relationship with Penn State, I think getting them, getting our, just building our class has just uh, really helped me personally because it's just got me so close with some of the guys and made me love the school even more just because of how great of a group we have. And uh, yeah, I know it's been crazy with quarantine and everything, but they've done a really great job of doing weekly Zoom calls and everything. So we've still gotten to stay in touch with everybody and build more relationships. So it's been fun. Um, I mean, I can't wait to be on campus, and I know the rest of the guys would say the same. We know you had that Zoom call after the season was initially postponed back in August. That was a difficult conversation for everybody and, and for your family, especially considering your brother. What was it like to get the news that Penn State is going to hit the field? And by the way, I know a lot of your fellow commits have been looking toward you with a little bit of envy because Ohio was on the field early and you were on uh, ESPN playing football when a lot of guys were wondering if they were even going to get the practice in 2020. Yeah, no, I mean – uh, definitely when they gave them, they told us everybody got the news that Big Ten was going to be back. I mean, we were so excited, I'm sure, just as excited as the team was. So just be able to watch them and cheer them on before we get up there will be really fun. And then, uh, yeah, I know it was funny. We uh, we lost that first game on ESPN, and I texted our guys after, and they were like, good game and everything. And I was like, I can't believe we just lost that because it was kind of a crazy game. And uh, they were like, at least you're playing, like, right. and all that. It was kind of funny, but it's been I've been very blessed that we've been able to have a season pretty much normally and have everything go smoothly. So 
I know plenty of Penn State fans. One, they were hungry for football, and there was a football game on TV, so they tuned into your matchup. But they also wanted to get a better understanding of who you are, Liam, on the football field. And and you did not disappoint in game one, and it has been a really fantastic senior season. Sean Fitz from our site wrote just a couple weeks ago about that record-setting performance against St. Ignatius. You had 12 catches, 300 yards, a couple touchdowns. Why have the pieces come together for you in such a strong way? Like I said, just just getting better every day. I think if you look at my my sophomore tape up till now, you just see a huge, I'm a completely different player on the field. Um, and then obviously just, I could talk about like everything I did to get to that point, but just confidence to just building confidence. I feel like this year I've been way more confident than I ever have on the field. And I think that's really helped uh, in my favor. But uh, I mean, I had that St. Ignatius, St. Ignatius game we talk about putting up the numbers. It was obviously really fun and exciting, but that's just the type of games that I feel confident in myself that I can have. And I knew at some point this season we would have one of those just because of the way our offense is run. So um, I was just in the right spots trying to get open and uh, my quarterback was getting me the ball. So I'll repeat that again, 300 receiving yards on the day. Liam, last year was, it's not like you came out of nowhere. Last year you had uh, 70 plus catches, 1100 plus receiving yards, 14 touchdowns, strong season for you as a junior now that you are down to the wire here, every game could be your last potentially. What are your remaining goals? I know you want to match Sean and with the state championship ring. Yeah. I mean, number one goal, no doubt about that is the state championship. Uh, I mean, lots of the goals, uh, school, school record goals for sure. I've broken a couple of them. I got a couple more to break here, which I think is definitely doable in this uh, state championship run. But that number one goal is, no doubt about a state championship. I, I want to be able to say that I won one when I talked to my brother. He can't he, – I don't want him to have that leg up on me where he won one and I didn't. So we're still fighting for that. We're working hard every day. So You got a four-star bump uh, from 24-7 Sports pretty recently. I think it was you know within the first few weeks of the season, Steve Wiltfong was at your opener. To me and Sean here on the podcast, we talked about it before. It felt like a matter of time until you were recognized and, and pushed into that territory. I've heard a lot about you from our, our recruiting gurus at 24-7 Sports. We discussed you at length. Can you give us a scouting report? You said you changed a lot since your sophomore year. What's the scouting report on Liam Clifford? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, the most I've changed is just in my route running and just learning the wide receiver position specifically because I've always played uh, football ever since I've been growing up, and I, I played quarterback. I played a little bit of receiver in grade school, so I've been I played some defense. I've been kind of everywhere, and – like I was labeled for a while as an athlete. So I feel like once I kind of honed in on that wide receiver position, because I feel like it's a lot more detailed than people really think. And uh, I'd say like my sophomore and junior year, I was getting by on athleticism. And then just kind of this offseason, I really focused on details, focused on my footwork and just route running in general, just getting off the line. And uh, I think that's really showed this year. And uh, just working, getting more – uh, agile and be able to do more with the ball after I catch it. So um, that'd be the biggest thing for me. And then, like I said, just confidence. Confidence is the biggest thing for me this year. You mentioned a couple of records that you already have at St. Xavier. What are those records and, and what else is within your reach at this point? Um, I've broken the total school receptions record. I don't know exactly what I'm at right now, but I know I broke it in like the second game. And then uh, receiving yards, I broke – and then I've got a couple like single single game records off of that St. Ignatius game and single game touchdown records. And then the the one I need to break still is the receptions. And I think I'm 13 off. So 
that should be coming hopefully this week, hopefully this Friday. So. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, your pace may be on Friday. Off-season work was different this year because you've had Sean back home. I'm assuming it was the most extended time you have spent together since he went off to college at Penn State. While everyone was waiting for the campus to reopen, and eventually that did happen in June, you guys had two and a half, three months where it was kind of on your own with some guidance from your respective programs to keep getting better. And Sean told us about this during a, a media call this summer, but I'd like to hear from your perspective. What was it like to have him? It obviously felt like a lot on the line. You want to go win a state championship. He wants to prove he can take a leap at Penn State. What was that work like? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was definitely the longest time uh, we got to spend since he's left. So it, it was kind of like old times. It was fun. We were back in the same house living together. And just uh, anytime, every single day, we would get up, go work out. And obviously everything was shut down, so it was kind of wild. But we would do a step in our basement, anything we could do. And then we'd always hit the field and uh, throw every single day. We had a little group of guys that we had been with since the beginning. So we had a nice little... He had a few receivers and we, uh, we worked, I mean, that was some of the best work I've probably gotten throughout all of high school. And I think he would say the same just because I don't think there's anybody that pushes me harder than him. And I think he would say the same about me. So it was really fun, really cool just to be able to throw together and kind of build that connection too. And, uh, at the end of it, we were kind of, we were kind of clicking. So that was pretty fun too. But, um, yeah, the, the work was just, so, something I've never done just because of the way we pushed each other. And it was a cool experience for sure. When you look back at your earliest football related memories with Sean, we've heard a lot of stories going back to his freshman year, going back to high school, just about his competitive streak and, and, and how sometimes it gets the best of him. Did that flare up a little bit between brothers? Cause brothers are usually competitive just normally when you throw in the football stuff. Was it one of those things where you were always trying to, to keep up with Big Brother and he was always trying to do his best to, to keep you at arm's length? Yeah, there was definitely some uh, competitive stuff going on when he was home, not only when we were working out, just but, but even just hanging out, like playing Xbox, playing games, any of that. But uh, there was definitely a couple of times where we'd be like doing conditioning and he knows I'm faster than him. So that definitely bothered him and he would always try to beat me, but he just he can't do it. So uh, there was definitely some com- competitive spirit that pushed us throughout those workouts. You mentioned the speed, and that's something that has always stood out watching your film. But the size, I remember covering Sean at the Elite 11 out in California and, and then out in Oregon. And I don't want to you know, insult Sean, but I think you are a little bit more well put together at this stage. Is that is that fair to say? Are you kind of a bigger physique at this point in your development than Sean was as a senior at St. Xavier? Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that, and I think he would too. But uh, I, I'm more I'm more lean than he is. So, but I, I definitely got like broader shoulders and uh, a little bit of a different body type. So, but yeah, I would agree with you on that. I'd say I'm a little bit more well put together, and that would maybe bother him a little. But he knows it, so it's no big deal. <laughs> you probably both talked about wanting to continue your football careers beyond your high school years. But when did it become clear to you that? wow, my older brother is actually going to have a, a true, genuine shot to play big-time football. Maybe I can too someday. When did it become more than just a backyard obsession for you two and become uh, maybe just a long-term lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, ever since we were growing up back in grade school, uh, we always talked about it. So obviously we've been dreaming of it since we were little. But I'd say once he got to high school, me and him both realized that he could play at the next level. And then kind of the same with me. I got my first offer sophomore year and I knew personally I had a lot more work to do and I was blessed with that offer, but I had a long way to go. And, uh, and these past few, past few years have been huge for me, just building my craft and everything. 
So it's kind of just been a, a ongoing thing. But ever since we were little, there was no doubt about it that we wanted to play play longer than high school and continue that football career. This is going to take you back beyond the offer that came last summer. And I want to talk about that camp in a little bit. But when did your relationship with the Penn State staff, James Franklin in particular, change from like the little brother who would come along on campus visits and who would show up to games and, you know, you'd exchange pleasantries to, okay, this is a possible recruit that we want to put a scholarship on the table for. When did you really feel that dynamic take that step? Yeah, um, it was 100% at the uh, the uh, Penn State camp in the summer when they offered me. I'd say I started seeing it more and more. They would come visit my school and were still pretty interested. But um, when at the camp in the summer when they offered me, it it really felt like they they because they sat me down and talked to me too and said like if if your brother wasn't on the team at all, we would still be offering you right now. And they went through it all. And uh, it just felt like I really earned it because it was at the camp too. And they, they was with my testing numbers and the way I performed. So that was definitely when I felt like it was real. And when they really, uh, when it kind of switched from that brother thing, like you said. We were at that camp last summer. We watched it and it was a really impressive wide receiver group at, at large. And they put you through the extra work. They had uh, you out in the side field with like four other guys. Sean's out there. KJ's out there. Franklin's out there. A bunch of eyeballs. Are you feeling the eyes on you during something like that? And ultimately, when the offer comes, who was in the room with you and what was Sean's initial reaction? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was cool having everybody out there watching. But um, like I said, I'm super comfortable at Penn State. Uh, obviously, with my brother and Coach Franklin, I've known since I was little. And then like guys like KJ, too, one of my brother's best friends. So it was. I, I thought it was just a cool experience. I took it that way rather than feeling pressured and just wanted to have fun. And then uh, when I got the offer, we sat up in his office, we were waiting and he called us in and uh, it was my family, my mom, my dad, my brother. And then uh, I think KJ actually, I know KJ was there for my commitment. Honorary member of the family, right? <laughs> was there too. He was, he honestly might've been the most excited. He was loving it. But uh, that was the group we had and it was fun. I mean, it was something I'll never forget. It was a, it was a really cool experience. Before we get away from KJ, you're able to pick your brother's brain on a lot of stuff about Power 5 football, about what this leap is going to be like, but he's never played wide receiver at that level. Does KJ, considering his closeness with Sean and with your family, I'm assuming with you, is that guy going to be a resource for you in, in these next few years as he's making his mark in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I know when when I've been up there, I've talked to him about just playing receiver and everything, but I, I would definitely uh, love to hit him up and stay in touch. Uh, just, I mean, he's... He was one of the best students at Penn State, so just to get his insight and everything. And I know even I, I my brother's roommates with uh, Tariq, the corner. So guys like him, just getting a perspective from the other side of the ball on what to do. I've sent him some film, and he's broken it down for me, which has helped. So that's been pretty cool to be able to have that uh, experience as well. And Tariq Castrofield, senior cornerback for Penn State. You committed whiteout weekend last year. Your brother had a huge game, uh, especially early on against Michigan, to bury them, and, and they held on to a late lead. You committed the next day publicly. What was that weekend like for the Clifford family? Yeah, so uh, that, weekend, that weekend was crazy. Uh, I went up to that uh, game. I, I know I wanted to commit on that big that big whiteout weekend. I wanted to make it a special experience. So um, you've probably heard some of the story, but we – we committed at, it was actually after the game the next day, my brother kind of texted Franklin and was like, Hey, uh, I need to talk to you. And obviously after a big game like that, that kind of had him a little nervous. 
And it was uh, even more cool because we, we had my whole family there. So we all, all like my cousins and aunt and uncle, we all walked into his office. And I think he was definitely a little confused on what was going on. But uh, that's when I kind of broke the news to him. And it was, it was, I mean, it was awesome. Like I said, something I'll never forget. He got super emotional. So it was a really cool experience. Now, things have changed between what may be possible for you and Sean together at college. Because of this pause on the eligibility clock, all of a sudden, Sean can stick with Penn State if he chose to do so for another two years. It remains to be seen who's going to take up opportunity of that. But you're going to have at least a year together, it would seem, on campus. How motivating is that for him? Is that something that, that he's talked about in the summer? You said you guys were clicking. I mean, is this something you guys are like ready to sink your teeth into and, and take it as far as it can go at, at Penn State together? Yeah, I think no doubt about that. I think uh, me personally, it's my my goal. I want to get on the field as early as possible. And I know, I mean, he wants to have the best season he could. So um, we're going to work. It'll be just like quarantine. We'll be working out, throwing every day again together, getting that connection back. And uh, I think there's no doubt about that, that we definitely want to pursue something like that where we could both be on the field at the same time, having that kind of duo quarterback to receiver. So That'd be something that'd be really cool. That'd be something we definitely dreamed about since we were little playing in the backyard and everything. So, um, you know, doubt about it. I'm going to be working hard to get on the field early. So that way I have a chance to play with him and do something that we've dreamed about. You were in eighth grade when Sean was a senior winning the state championship, going to the elite 11 and all that stuff. Um, have you ever played in a real live football game together? Um, no, we never have. We've uh, always been that four year, four years apart. So, I've never been on a team with him. Uh, my freshman, or well, yeah. So he left. He was a senior. I was eighth grade. So never, never got to play together. Uh, I don't think in any sport we never, never got to play together. So it'd be, it'd be pretty cool. Well, the doors open for twenty twenty one. We'll see if, uh, if that happens and comes to together here in Happy Valley. There's been a, a change at wide receiver. You talked about being a, t- a technician and and that really taking you to another level at receiver. Technician is the word we keep hearing about Taylor Stubblefield. Jared Parker's the guy who evaluated at camp last summer. You know, when you committed, he's the coach in place. He leaves in the winter. Taylor Stubblefield comes in. How has that relationship grown? And what are your early takeaways from what Penn State has at that position now? Coach Stubb came in and, I mean, I was excited about it. I've, I've heard great things. Uh, he's he had, a great, he had a great career himself and then has done some great things as a coach. And I think I've just been building the relationship more and more every day. He's obviously texts me after every game, texts, calls me out every week just to check in. And uh, I love him. He's a great dude. Definitely knows what he's doing, no doubt. I've talked to some of the – I've heard from some of the guys in the room that they would say the same, that he's he's a great coach. And uh, like they, like we said, like you you talked about, their, uh, their room's younger, so he's been doing a great – I've heard he's been doing a great job with them. And uh, my brother even would attest that they've been clicking, starting to click more and more, getting ready for this first game. So – but yeah, me and Coach Stubb have been building our relationship and I'm excited to get up there and just get to know him even more and get in that room. A couple more questions for you, then we'll get you out of here. I want to know your thoughts on Lonnie White, because you're not the only wide receiver in this class to get a four-star bump. He's been elevated in the rankings. Unfortunately, he has not had a chance to play yet as a senior. Uh, but from afar, I don't know how well you know Lonnie, if you spent any time on a field together at all at this point, but from what you have seen maybe on film, uh, communicating with him, what are your thoughts on if it's just you two at wide receiver, what is that class going to do for the program? Yeah, I think uh, both of us, like we've talked about, we could both get on the field early. He's he's a crazy athlete too. He's a big baseball player. I heard he's a uh, guy like the might might be drafted. Who knows? So um, I think the we could both do a lot for the program, a lot for that position group, and uh, 
get on the field and honestly wherever they need us. So um, I know Lonnie's been busy and it's been crazy with him not being able to play. I know he's been playing a lot of baseball, but uh, I, I'm sure his goal is the same as mine is to do whatever he can to help the team and get on the field early. So, And the next cycle, Ohio produces another future Penn State wide receiver, and he's been doing big things this year as well. And Caden Saunders, he's underway with the playoffs at Westerville South. Do you know Caden at all just from being in the same state? I know you're not necessarily neighbors or anything like that, but obviously since he committed to Penn State, there must be a, a little bit of a dialogue building between the two of you. Yeah, no, I know Caden. Uh, we had a um, Zoom meeting with the 21 and 22 class, I think it was two weeks ago. So afterward, we were texting just to kind of get in touch with each other. We've been kind of talking ever since. So we keep up with each other about the playoffs because Ohio football is kind of just like that where everybody wants to know what's going on with everybody's teams. So uh, I, I know he's been having a great season, though, and that's just another guy that will be in that receiver room and just definitely be able to help, help out as much as possible. And back to your class, you got about two months now before the early signing period. Penn State's going to have a chance to go play games, show off the new offense. We'll see what that all looks like and see how maybe that impacts things. What do you think about the ability to finish strong? There's been some frustration. We've heard that from Franklin himself about not really completing this class the way they want to with some of the bigger pieces. What do you think's on the line here in the next couple months? We've been saying it all along, just uh, quality over quantity. So, it's been, it's been, like I said, it's been a crazy uh, quarantine slash off season, whatever you want to call it. So I think um, if we, if the class was done right now, we'd be fine and we'd, we'd have our guys that we need and everybody knows what they got to do. But if we add a couple more guys here at the end, I mean, obviously we're not going to be mad about that either. So um, I think we'll be all right either way. We've got a great group right now and uh, hopefully add just one or two more guys and uh, get ready to go. I'm looking for insider insight here, Liam. We have not seen your brother throw a football since we were down in Dallas for the Cotton Bowl because of these circumstances. No spring practices. We're not allowed on the field right now for obvious reasons. Normally, we'd see him once a week or so. What can we expect from Sean? New offense, everything. You've seen the mindset. You've seen him putting in the work physically as well this offseason. What's he going to look like as a second-year starting quarterback for Penn State? I'll always talk highly of him. I know how he works. I know how we work together. So, uh, I think he's going to have an incredible season. I know he's super excited. I was just talking to him. I think it was last night. And he said he's throwing the ball better than he ever has and clicking with the receivers really well. So uh, I think everybody should be super excited about what this team's going to bring and uh, the opportunity that they're going to have this year. And uh, I think Sean's going to have a great year. So I'm super excited to watch it. And I can't wait. Last one. St. Xavier is not located <laughs> near Happy Valley. It's got plenty of other college options around town. But with Sean as the starting quarterback for the Nittany Lions, you following him to campus now to Happy Valley. Is there like a bandwagon brewing in, in your community right now that that's all of a sudden going to get some more Penn State apparel in the neighborhood? Um, I would say, I mean, you know how Ohio, Ohio people are. They love Ohio State. <laughs> so there's definitely some haters, but then there's also, I think, some people around my school and around the community that are starting to uh, jump on the Penn State bandwagon a little. And uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, I think after this year, maybe we'll – Maybe there'll be some more. And once I get there, there'll be some more. So uh, it's been cool just to bring kind of from go from Ohio to Penn State and even like guys like Caden, Ohio to Penn State. So I think that can maybe be a thing in the next few years. And uh, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm so excited to get up there.
maybe you can convert some people with a strong playoff push here in the next few weeks. We'll find out soon. We wish you well on Friday and, and hopefully that uh, you get to continue playing your senior season out as long as you can and maybe match Sean with that championship ring of your own. Thank you so much for the time today, Liam. We look forward to seeing what's next for you at St. Xavier and certainly here on campus next year. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we have turned our attention back to the 2020 roster. Big thanks to, to Liam Clifford again. Look forward to seeing what he can do on the field in 2021. But right now with the guys that we have to, to look at, we, we've got a little bit more light shed on them because there was a roster update been a tricky year for these kind of things because there hasn't been the milestone moments like a blue-white game or a spring practice session, but Penn State has occasionally updated this roster. It's the first one we've seen since one that we saw in midsummer when those freshmen were added to it in, in the complete freshman class, and this is going to be kind of rapid fire. I put together a very, very long piece up on lines247.com on Thursday, breaking down th- more than 30 guys and, and, and basically focusing on anyone who gained or lost more than six, seven pounds, giving you a little bit of a, a nugget on where they are right now and their progress, how they might impact Penn State in 2020 or if they're kind of a, a long-term plan. We're going to go through a little bit quicker right now with Sean, and I want to start with this. Defensive ends, Adiza Isaac, Jason Owe, Shaka Tony, and Smith Vilbert, Sean, each surpassed 250 pounds during the offseason. Well, we always watch uh, Shaka Tony's weight every year, and uh, it's good to see that up. I mean, he, he looked bigger when we've seen him in you know pictures and things like that. So I'm not surprised by that. But yeah, you want that group to be bigger. You want that group to be, uh, I mean, it's an athletic group. But as we said, we, there's a lot of potential with those defensive ends. And to have them that high, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt anybody. That's for sure. Also getting bigger and also moving to a new position. This was the only position change that at least I took away from looking at the updated roster, Sean. Keziah Izzard, not really surprising. It's something that we've forecasted, but he was initially listed as a defensive end on the uh, on his uh, addition to the roster earlier this year. Now at defensive tackle, now up to 281 pounds. I think that's eight or nine pounds up from where he was previously at six foot three. And a guy who's gotten a lot of really strong feedback. We talked about last episode, there's such a cluster of young talent at defensive tackle. Add him to that group uh, now. And, and also Fatoma Moba working his way elsewhere. Just about the most shredded 290-pound player I've seen. Uh, he's down. He came in a little bit over 300 pounds, and he said before that's where they wanted him. Uh, he worked his way back down to 289. And if you see the photo that Mark Brennan took of him outside of Beaver Stadium a couple weeks ago, that uh, kid is really well put together. Yeah, I, that's putting it nicely. I mean, yeah. he's, uh, he is rock solid. And, and they wanted to sort of strip some of that weight off and put the good weight back on. But this is a kid that honestly still raw from that, uh, from that perspective, going to have to build up that lower body, um, and just really just kind of fall into it. I see him as a red shirt guy all, all the way, but still an impressive physical guy. They like him a lot. Izzard, though, uh, what, is that, what does that mean to you? I mean, he's a guy that you've been hearing good things about. You've mentioned that a few times really during since preseason camp opened in August. Um, he was kind of that tweener prospect, really wanted to play on the perimeter. That, may, that was pretty clear talking to him as a prospect, but now it seems like settling into the idea that his role is going to be inside. 
I mean, I think that that's where his role always going, was going to be. But, you know, you take a look at the numbers at DN, by the way, Amin Vanover still listed at DN and he's about 279. So it's, I don't think it's just a weight thing. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got some burst inside. He's, he's tested pretty well since he's gotten here. And, you know, just among those defensive linemen, he's, he's one of those guys that stuck out so far. If you've listened to this podcast, even just sporadically, you've probably heard us talk about Akeem Beeman in a positive light. Uh, his teammates have done that as well, and so have the coaches. Up 24 pounds from when we last saw this roster. I want to preface this by saying, Sean, just, just because we have all these added weights or lost weights since the last roster doesn't mean it was restricted to just that gap in between the rosters. Sometimes you know, there's just an update that comes through and it catches you up on maybe some previous months. But at 6'3", 298... Akeem Beeman continues to sound like a guy who's ready to make an impact as a redshirt freshman and maybe crash into that too deep with a strong season. Yeah, several teammates have pointed him out as a guy to watch on the defensive line. We're certainly watching him. And back to your point, roster weights are what they are. I mean, yes. take them take them for what they're worth. Some are, some are very accurate. Some, you know, you might be a few pounds off. So, um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what Hakeem Beeman can do, especially, you know, does he push Judge Culpepper there? And, and, you know, you've been hearing good things about Judge Culpepper. So how does that sort of next three, when we talk about defensive tackle, how does that, uh, how does that sort of build up to catch those starters? Culpepper, also a gainer, up 10 pounds to six foot four, two ninety one. As we mentioned last episode, played defensive end, played tight end in high school. He's a guy who's made that transition inside. The starters that we project at defensive tackle, PJ Mustafer and Antonio Shelton, working in opposite directions. And I found this to be uh, pretty curious uh, when looking at the roster and maybe suiting them well as complementary pieces inside with PJ Mustafer down eight pounds to 300 pounds. Antonio Shelton now carrying 326 pounds. This is not a guy with a massive frame either. No, I mean, he, he, they're playing one technique. So I guess he's going to be your space eater in the middle. We'll see if he's uh, if he's that big. But uh, I like the Mustafer dropping to uh, to 300 I pounds. I don't, I don't know that he needs to be, you know, a... 315, 310, 315 pounders. So I like, I like what they, you know, they sort of play off of each other. And like I said, that defensive tackle group as a whole needs uh, to prove it, but they've got some promise. Uh, elsewhere at the linebacker role, one spot, well, for now, uh, that, that we've used Uriah Fisher, uh, been talking about this really for a long time since he was a recruit looking at Michigan State, Penn State, picking Penn State. They said on signing day he's going to play linebacker. He shows up at 230 pounds, six foot three. Really successful high school career out west. But right now, you look at Zariah Fisher. He's up to 244, still listed as a linebacker. But man, we, we talked about before the the defensive end depth and how that could be pretty razor thin, especially when you get through the 2020 season and what you're looking at next year. Yeah, it's it's hard not to eye that transition down the road here. Nature's undefeated, man. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> there you go. Um, elsewhere in the linebacker room, some some other gainers to a lesser degree, but uh, these are all former five-star prospects evaluated by, evaluated by 24-7 sports. Lance Dixon is up 11 pounds, a guy who played a lot of safety in high school. Uh, Brandon Smith is up 7 pounds. He's at right around 245 now. And Curtis Jacobs early on up to 226 um, on his frame. So those guys continue to grow. And, and as I said, a lot of potential in that room. And, and they're kind of at the crux of that. And Brandon Smith stepping up as a starter this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how those guys are going to fit in, uh, Dixon and, and Jacobs around Brandon Smith. But uh, I mean, that's a that's a linebacker group that looks great. Now, three new starters, we're going to see what they're made of. But uh, I'm very curious about what Dixon's role is going to be. I mean, you, you look at him, he's backing up Smith at the Sam. We know that he's got the athleticism, the speed and everything, but you know that position had to come along. So still very much up in the air, but weight with him is, you know, adding weight with him to, to actually be a linebacker is, is pretty good. 
Two offensive linemen I want to mention here. One is Caden Wallace, who continues to, to kind of restructure his body. And if you've seen the head photo uh, for this story that we put on Lions 24-7, it was Caden Wallace rolling up to uh, team facilities in a tank top. Man, uh, six foot five, three hundred and thirteen pounds. Now that's down twenty two pounds from where he was last listed. Felt like he lost a bunch of weight, bad weight, as a high school senior. Came in, put on more weight. It wasn't sloppy, but now he's just lean, mean, and pushing Will Fries at the right tackle position. And the other guy to get to here, and this is great to see, Drew Scruggs. You wrote a piece this week, Sean, about his long journey back uh, from that back injury he suffered in an automobile accident last spring. He's up 18 pounds, according to this. He's at 298 at six foot three, and uh, you love to see that kind of progress because uh, you know it's it's hard to add weight if you can't be totally physically engaged. Um, and it sounds like he is more in, uh, rapidly being that guy and getting back to where he wants to be. And that's something that he talked about. And I, I do encourage you to read that because it's uh, it's a good story because just seeing him out there is is you know, some of the best news that you could say for, for Penn State this year. So um, getting back from that neck injury, uh, back injury, um, I mean, it's 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 really cool. Uh, Caden Wallace, if you told me he was 315 or 313 as it's listed here, if you told me he was 335, I'd believe you either yeah, way. Right. Just a massive dude. Um, the two other veterans that uh, you could call them on the roster who lost eight pounds a piece that, that stood out to me, Will Levis, who is your number two quarterback. We've talked about him maybe taking on a role as a runner uh, in some certain packages for Penn State with Kirk Shiraka. And then Ellis Brooks, your, your number one middle linebacker now replacing Jan Johnson. At six foot one, I like this weight better. He's down from 241 to 233. You think that means he can get on the move a bit more? I agree with you on, on Ellis Brooks. I mean, I think he needs to be able to move around in there. Obviously, he's playing in the middle, so you know that's limited, and he's going to have to hold up to, to Big Ten running games. But at the same time, you want to see him be as nimble as possible, and that's encouraging when we're talking about those two linebacker sets. And still, to me, that's the biggest question uh, when we move through uh, through the linebacker depth chart and the rundown and everything. Who's going to play those two those two linebacker sets? Some other newcomers that just stood out, Norval Black, who was very skinny when he got to campus at 160, it was listed, uh, 178 now. Again, he may not have been 160 the day he got to campus, may have been over that, but that's where he was listed initially on the depth chart. That's up 18 pounds. Uh, Olu Fashano, down 15 pounds, six foot six, 300 pounds for the freshman tackle. And by the way, Black coming from the junior college rank, so he's a junior. And then Kevon Lee, someone that we've been talking about quite a bit on the show of late, up 10 pounds. He's six foot 230 pounds, and Sean, there's just a lot of excitement about this kid. And by the way, Kaziah Holmes uh, establishing some excitement of his own on the practice field on Thursday evening. Uh, Penn State kind enough to, 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 to throw us a bone and put a video up uh, on the, of the practice field uh, on, on Twitter. I think they were pretty happy to throw that video up because yeah. it uh, it got a lot of run last night. Because Iah Holmes, obviously, uh, I, the Saquon Barkley comparisons are going to be there because of the number, and you know he's gotten some early hype. But man, that was that was impressive, and that's a tight spot to do that. I don't exactly recommend hurdling in that drill, but he he made it look good. And then of course, when you put it beside Saquon, I mean that's uh, that's a pretty big honor for anybody. So, but yeah, uh, a lot of buzz about Holmes and Kevon Lee. Uh, Lee came in, you know, right around that two hundred thirty. Mark. And like I said, he's a big back. He's a different style back than they have on the roster. I know Kane is labeled as a big back, but I don't think that, you know, I, I think Kane probably a little is a little more lightning than we give him credit for. Uh, Lee seems to be a, a basic Thunder guy. So I'm excited to see how they use them. And it seems like they're pretty close right now in the preseason camp and just two talented kids out of Florida. It's uh, that, that running back room has, has kind of recruited itself and it's, it continues to do so. 
Noah Kane runs so compact too. He feels like a smaller guy than five foot ten, and he and he and he just this is there's nothing that's gonna like sneak up on you about Kevon Lee. He is an imposing figure out of that backfield. Um, staying in the backfield to get to a quick recruiting note here. Tevin White was one of the earlier targets that we discussed in the 2022 cycle for Penn State at a North Stafford High School in Virginia. That's where Devin Ford once starred. They shared the field when Ford was a senior. White was a freshman. Nana Seydoux, who signed with Penn State's 2018 class, a, a premier tackle. Uh, heart condition did not allow him to play at the college level. Uh, but it, it, there's history here at, at North Stafford. And with Tevin White, he puts out a list of top schools on Thursday. It's Arizona State, Duke, Georgia, Penn State, South Carolina, and Tennessee. If I'm not mistaken, I think Georgia and Penn State were the first offers on the table for him. He's been to camp. He has a strong relationship with Sider. Um, you know, obviously he has an uh, an, an outlet in that program with uh, with Devin Ford to kind of tap into when he needs it. Um, you know, he, he's one of those guys, and we think 2022 is going to be a big one for the for the running back recruiting because it looks like 2021 will not be. I mean, I think you probably take two in 2022. I have a crystal ball pick in for Tevin White. I don't, I don't love it right now, uh, to be honest with you. I think Georgia is uh, a team that's. I think Georgia and Penn State are the two teams that really have caught his eye. He's gone out and visited some some other schools. Very smart kid, by the way. He's got uh, you know a very measured approach to everything. I think the last time he was on campus at Penn State was last year. So we will see what what comes of that. And I think just given what's out there at running back in 2022, I think Penn State's going to take two, and they're going to take two pretty good ones. And there's a lot of names out there, and I can't really go through them all right now because there are so many, but Tevin White's just one of those uh, many guys out there. I mean, he he was very early on the radar. I mean, obviously, they watched Devin Ford, and they saw this kid that was a freshman at this point. Devin Ford was kind of playing slot and playing wherever he needed to, and Tevin White was more of a traditional running back, offered him very early. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a very good player, very smart player. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that Penn State's really the out-and-out favorite like they were before. I also have a crystal ball pick in. So does Brian Doan. All those sitting at six out of 10. I guess that's about right. Maybe we all go a little bit lower at this point. Uh, we'll see where it goes. It's so tricky without the, having the ability to get to campuses right now for, for any forecasting. But Tevin White, by the way, listed six foot one, 190, top 200 prospect in the uh, in the 2022 class, a name to keep tabs on. Back in the 2021 class, uh, a name that we have been monitoring is Khalil Dinkins. And, and you felt like there was something to maybe add to the conversation on this episode. Yeah, I mean, if you made it this far in the episode, kudos to you because we're a ways in, but it feels like Dinkins could be close. Uh, that might be something that happens in the coming week or so, but Dinkins is, is the guy that you're looking to in 2021, potentially the next guy. All right, it's five-star mailbag time, and uh, we've got only time for one. We really have time for none, but we don't ever want to leave the uh, mailbag unaddressed. So here we go, Sean. Though I don't feel confident about either scenario playing out, what's more likely this year? Penn State knocks off Ohio State, runs the table to get into the playoffs, or Penn State goes 8-1 and one with that loss to Ohio State. And with some chaos going on in the college football world, the Big Ten gets two teams in the playoffs. And obviously this is insinuating that Penn State would be that second team to join uh, maybe an unbeaten Ohio State. I think it's the second one. I mean, I, I, I understand that Penn State is getting Ohio State at home, but I think the talent gap is there and you lose Micah Parsons and that talent gap is even bigger. So I, I still feel that Ohio State has the advantage in that game. But I mean, I still think Penn State is a is a playoff push caliber team and we'll see what happens. It's just so much chaos in college football right now that, you know, I think that 
this could be the year that Big Ten gets two in there. Will that necessarily come to fruition? I, I don't know. I can't read what's going to happen. But, you know, if they play a full schedule, they go eight and one. They certainly have a, a pretty good argument, especially as some of these other teams, especially, you know, the Big 12 shooting, you know, sort of eating themselves alive. I expect the SEC to, you know, be in a similar, not not as not look as bad, but I th- expect them to be in a similar situation as well, because it's so hard to run through a, a straight conference schedule like this and and sort of get out unscathed. We saw that with Florida last week going to Texas. Texas A&M, and I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's out of the uh, out of the question that two Big Ten teams to, could could get in. Now they they have to be impressive. They have to go out and you know sort of rebound from that Ohio State game if they do lose that game and and run the table and then play that last game. That we don't know what the scenario is for that last game, but it's certainly possible. Yes. Standard logic often doesn't apply to the college football playoff conversation in this year, particularly so. I mean, you look at who's ahead, and this is just based on the AP rankings right now, which which don't often forecast what we're going to look at with the college football rankings. We always get a little bit of a, a variation there, but you've got Alabama and Georgia set to play each other without Saban on the field this weekend. Uh, North Carolina is number five right now. They're eventually going to have to play Clemson at the end of this thing if they want to go unbeaten. Uh, Clemson looks like a buzzsaw once again. Notre Dame sitting there at four. You know, uh, we've seen them get in the playoff before, um, but Oklahoma State and Cincinnati are the two teams directly ahead of Penn State. If you want to invest in their stock long term, go for it. But but I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to pass on the Big 12 making it. Um, I think Oregon is the one team you look at. Can they make some kind of late dash in this conversation? How does the Pac-12 factor in? How the hell is the playoff committee going to account for these staggered starts? And I do think that if you stack up the rest of Penn State's schedule, and let's let's assume it's not a thrashing. I think where, where you're talking about the conversation changing here, Sean, is if it's uh, a demolishing loss against Ohio State on home turf, that could really be hard to overcome even with the one loss. But let's say it's another one of those tightly contested matchups and Ohio State beats you again. And then you go the rest of the way. James Franklin wins his first game at the big house in Michigan. You get those tricky uh, wins at, at Indiana, at Nebraska. You handle a, a team that could be ranked when you play them in Iowa. Uh, it, I just still feel like to answer this question, I, I see two or more losses more likely at the end of this deal than running the table. And let's not forget it's going to be a good opponent in week nine. If Penn State's as good as we think they can be, you're going to be playing the first, you know, if you're not in that championship game and, and Ohio State's there, you're still going to be playing a really quality opponent, probably a ranked opponent that championship week. And you're going to have to get past that game and get to an eighth win um, in that ninth week to, to really make that case. But the case will be there to be made. And I think there's going to be just so much conversation about this. And as we said, I'll keep hammering this home. If we're talking about college football playoff debates creeping up toward Christmas, sign me up all the way. Because in August, any point in this year, pick a month, sure didn't look like we were going to get there. And and Notre Dame still has to play Clemson and North Carolina because they've got that ACC schedule That's right. as well. And so, so good luck there. I think that'll work a- itself out. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of chaos that goes there. If I mean, basically, I think if you're eight and one, you you got a shot. And mm-hmm. you you look at you know Alabama's got a big one this weekend with Georgia. I mean, that's two of the top three teams in the country. Clemson. I mean, we talk about these teams having to play Clemson, but they play at Notre Dame. You know, they played North Carolina played them tough last year, so Clemson's not a you know given. Now, I think these teams that I just mentioned have the be- get will get the benefit of the doubt if it comes to it. But if you go eight and one, you've earned it. And if Penn State 
goes eight and one. I think they've certainly earned a, a spot at the conversation for the table because I'm not convinced that there's going to be a ton of eight and one teams. I mean, we talk about running the table and that's great, but I don't know that there's going to be a ton of one loss games. Now that could be different with games getting canceled and things like that. But I mean, it just, it's going to be a very, it's going to be a grinder of a season. It's going to be a chaotic season. And I tell you what, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, by the way, I still haven't heard an answer on how that championship week works. If you've got one team with seven games because something happened and another with eight and they've both got one loss. How are you, what are you factoring in to determine who gets in and how that placement works out? Could matter for that college football playoff race, trying to build your resume. Uh, another question that will hopefully get answered as this thing progresses. We're going to dive into it a lot more next week. It is a game week in Happy Valley, and boy, does that sound good. It's been a long time since we had a chance to talk about a game on the horizon that week, and that will be the case. We're going to talk to an Indiana insider, get some insight on where the Hoosiers stand, coming off a pretty strong season last year. They've been uh, really a pest for Penn State during recent years. Uh, does he expect that to be the case once again? We're going to give our season predictions, Sean and I, on Tuesday, I think they're going to be up on lines 24-7 uh, before then. So if you want to check out ours and Mark's, uh, you can get an early indication of where we stand there. Uh, but a lot coming your way. Thanks to Liam Clifford for his time. Good luck to him in his playoff matchup this weekend. Uh, thanks to Sean, of course. And as always, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside. Thanks for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.